The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is sponsored by Steeped Coffee. Steeped Coffee is a new brewing method that combines specialty craft coffee into a single serving bag. You don't need a machine. You don't have to make a mess. All you have to do is add hot water wherever you go. Each steep pack is individually sealed. It's nitrogen flush, so it stays fresh. And it's got this special full immersion filter. And the filter is ultrasonic sealed, which means it's sealed together with no glue or no staples. So there's no weird stuff floating around your coffee. Steeped is a benefit B Corp. They ethically source all their coffee. Their packaging is fully compostable and they believe that business should be done without compromise. You can get your hands on Steeped coffee packs at steepedcoffee.com. That's S-T-E-E-P-E-D coffee.com. Asking your local retail stores to start carrying Steeped or having your favorite roastery reach out and kind of get in touch. If you're in Santa Cruz, come on by any of the Cat and Cloud locations. We have it there for you. Basically, they're just doing their best to change the coffee industry, make your life more convenient with their pre-portioned, pre-ground innovation. So tell all your friends. It's too much. It's too loud. It's too intense. It's too It's too much volume. It's too, it's too much for one person. It's not, it's not going to work. Why does it sound weird in there? Hello? Hello? Let's turn that off. Let's turn this off. All right. You did it. You requested it. Here we are. We're going to do it. We're going to get into it. It's not my favorite thing, but it's a great thing. A lot of people enjoy it. There's unlimited fun, unlimited exploration, most of it bad, but you can still explore. Today, we're going to talk about Pour overs. Pour overs, that magical interplay of coffee and water in a single serve device. Pour overs, what you brew with a kettle that costs $400 when you don't really need one, but you feel like you have to because it just feels so right. Pour overs, there's a thousand of them to choose from. Which one is the right one for you? Which one is going to give you that small brewing advantage that'll take your coffee from zero to hero? Pour over, it's the defining aspect of the third way for letting coffee speak for itself. How could anything be so elevated? Pour over. For as much talk and energy that revolves around the idea of making pour overs, they weren't always so cool. I got my first coffee job in 2001 and my first really, really serious job in 2006 when I moved to San Francisco to start working for Ritual Coffee Roasters. And there were some things going on in the industry with pour over. Blue Bottle used to make these by the cup brews in their Hayes Valley kiosk, but by and large, no one really cared about pour overs. Why? Because everyone was focusing on making espresso. There was this new world of espresso emerging. People were moving away from the old ways of filling up the doser, two clicks to dose a double shot. If you even know what I'm talking about, you're probably old enough to remember. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, good for you. You never had to experience that weird, strange time. But espresso was this new, exciting thing. There was this really intense lack of science around coffee, so there was a lot of exploration. And some of it led to some pretty poor results, but the exploration I think was good because it led to curious people, it led to people trying different things and people learning by doing. There was a lot of trial and error. Espresso. Espresso's fun. Espresso's why I love coffee. Espresso was the place to be. Pour over, yeah, it was kind of there. Maybe there's some shops in the 90s kind of doing a thing. Santa Cruz Coffee Roasting here, where we're at, is actually legendarily accredited. Does that even make sense? Le- accredited? Legendarily accredited? That makes no sense at all. Roll with me. You know what I'm talking about. You know. They are. They supposedly have one of the first pour over bars anywhere ever 
in the nation. There's a contingent of people using these paper Melita filters at their house, and you could buy those filters at the grocery store, put them in these really weird, cheap plastic brewers, and people would use it to make coffee at home. But in the commercial and in the specialty coffee scene, pour overs were kind of birthed out of the absence of something that had kind of taken this stronghold in the by the cup brewing scene, which wasn't really there before. And that was the clover. People love technology, new options. You can do new things. You can do this weird stuff, whatever you want to do. It's possible with technology. A few years after I started working at ritual, this group of people were working on this coffee brewing device, something that we hadn't seen before. It looked like this square box with a little water faucet it on top. It had this little disc that moved up and down that had a screen on it. What the hell was it? I don't know. There was a squeegee involved. This was a clover. It was a little startup that was building a coffee brewer and it was a vacuum brewer. So the top, you'd have this chamber with this piston that had a screen on top and the piston would drop down. You'd put coffee into it. And then that little water faucet thing would squirt water on top of it. So you had all this coffee in this chamber. You could stir it, agitate it. There was a special little spatula thing. And then the piston would rise back up. There was a suction from underneath. It was a vacuum press and it would pull the coffee out, shoot it out of this tube right into your cup. Single serve coffee brewing sounds incredibly complicated and it kind of was. But the thing that people liked about it and the thing that it was really sold on the back of was that it was infinitely adjustable. You could tweak pretty much anything you want. So if you want your water at a certain temperature and that temperature is different for each coffee you want to make, that's cool. You can program that in the machine. It holds profiles. If you want to run different brewing times for each one and it would automate it, that's cool. You could program that into the machine. It gave you a lot of flexibility. It got to be really fucking out of hand as to where someone would be dialing in the espresso machine and you would have a barista that came in in the morning and dialed in the clover recipes. What the fuck is even going on here? It makes no sense. It made sense at the time. It was that artisan thing. It was, we're pulling the most out of the coffee. This is what the coffee needs. Why are all these coffees responding so differently? You could give a, any number of answers. Um, it was probably inconsistent roasting. There was no roasting software going on at the time, or at least we weren't using any. So the different recipes and the different peak flavors from each of those coffees was probably the function of different levels of solubility, just again, imparted to the coffee by inconsistent roasting. But anyway, we had this fancy new machine and what you can do with a fancy new machine is you can sell coffees for ridiculously high prices. So if you were paying $2 for a cup or $1.50 a cup, I can't remember what it was back then, but it was, you know, normal, slightly above normal coffee prices. Cause this is specialty coffee here, y'all. Okay. Calm down, take a deep breath, we're gonna be fine. But let's say you've got a $2 standard cup of 12 ounce coffee. Now you've got this fancy machine, you're brewing coffee by the cup, you're paying attention to it, and you can tell your guests how it's just scientifically proven to blow your mind. Now you can sell coffees for $5, you can sell coffees for $6, you can sell coffees for $7. You have that platform. So even if the coffee that you're selling, even if that green coffee is a little bit more expensive base cost, you're still killing it on the margins selling by the cup on this new magical clover machine. But then disaster struck everyone. Starbucks bought the Clover company. Starbucks bought Clover. They bought it. They took it. They purchased it. Clover sold 
to Starbucks. To Starbucks. If you go into Starbucks now, you might see a weird little square machine. That's a clover. That's a relic from 2007. That's that's a piece of history. You should steal one. You should take one. You should take one and make it your own. You can bring it in to your kitchen. So this did a couple things. One, it made parts a little bit harder to get. So Starbucks was still selling replacement parts, but they weren't really servicing any of the machines. And we had a couple of these things and they broke pretty frequently, but more so than making parts a little bit harder to get. And that would even become harder and harder and harder to get replacement parts as time went on. There was a stigma around what was happening. All of a sudden, if you're championing your business, something that's different, something that's unique, something that's uber high end specialty. And now the Starbucks down the street has the same thing as you. Well, that just it just doesn't feel that good. That platform that you put yourself on that big glass house that you built around. So you could be like, look at me. I'm the best. Don't throw rocks at me. I'm better than you. We have really good coffee. It just doesn't seem that shiny anymore. And people started to go, Hmm. Yeah. Maybe we should move away from this situation because it's really not as cool as it used to be. And we want to be cool because we care what everybody else thinks. And I resonate with that. I totally get that. (laughs) I want to be cool too, man. Let's be cool together. But there was a problem. Now you have this void, this void for high dollar coffee. You've been selling cups of coffee at five, six, seven, eight, shit, even more than that. And you don't want to lose that margin as a business. It's really, really useful. And I'm not dissing the margin. Selling individually prepared by the cup coffees in whatever form at an elevated price point is a great way for cafes to buffer their bottom line. It's really good business. So what do you do? You have this void. Some people were coming out with newer machines. Some people tried to create what looked like clones of the clover, taking really similar principles to plug this gap. But what ended up happening was people fell back on what they already knew. They fell back on what they were comfortable with, what had been around for a long time. And one of those things was pour over. And with pour overs came this new set of lies that we got to sell to guests who came into the cafe. Whereas last year you should spend $8 on this cup of coffee because we can perfectly dial in the temperature. We can perfectly automate the dwell time. We can tune this thing to make the best coffee possible because of technology. And that's why you should pay a lot of money for it. Now you should pay a lot of money for it because it's an old world method because we spend the time to craft it by hand because there's a kettle and we don't have really amazing temperature control because there's no automation because a human being makes it whatever you want. Hey, just give us some fucking money. All right, come on, pay us, please. So now pour overs are cool again. They're an accepted part of specialty coffee. They're part of the family. You probably have one in your cabinet. Your cafe down the street might serve one. And you know what? That's great. Pour overs are great. Coffee brewing is great. You can brew coffee all kinds of ways and it's great. It's a lot of great things you can do. So one of the most common questions that comes across over and over and over again, let's talk about it right now. What is the difference between all the kinds of pour overs? What do I buy? There's a Kalita Wave. There's a V60. There's a Chemex. There's this weird pyramid brewer that I saw on Bacchus channel. What do I get? So with a few basic exceptions, it's going to go down like this. All pour over brewers are basically 
the same. They're basically the same. They're just a vessel for holding a filter that you put coffee in and then water goes through it. There's no crazy piece of pour over technology that's going to take your coffee to the next level. It just doesn't work like that. With that said, there are a couple noticeable things, noticeable things. There's a couple important things you want to note. First, one of the big differences between the different kinds of pour overs you can buy is your filter choice. There's a lot of different filters out there, and this does make a difference in brewing and in taste. So you've got that old school brown cardboardy Melita filter. You see it at the store, you see it at the gas station, you see it on the ground peeking out of the sewer. It looks gross. It smells gross. It's pretty gross. You don't need to use it. I would recommend never using those brown filters, the ones that are brown, like a paper bag is brown. You don't need to go there. If you want to know why, do this experiment. Go get some of those filters, open the box, give them a smell. All right. Doesn't smell so good. Now throw them in whatever pour over brewer you have lying around and preheat that pour over brewer, rinse it with water. Now stick your face in there and smell it again. Specific, oh, hang on, I got a phone call. That's a flip phone ringing for you. This is Chris. Oh, awesome. Is it cool if I pick it up in like a half hour? Right on, thanks so much. Where was I? Okay, yeah. Rinse it with hot water, smell it. You smell that? It smells like a paper bag. It smells gnarly. You gotta rinse it a lot and that really still won't even go away. It's a bad place to start. You don't need a brown filter. You can use a nice light colored filter that's got less smell. Take a, take, a, take a filter, whatever. Get two filters of the same kind. Get two boxes of Melita filter, one brown, one oxygen cleansed, because they're not usually whitened out with bleach. Rinse them both. See which one smells worse. You'll get what I'm talking about. So even if we've thrown the brown filters out the window, there's still a bunch of different kinds of these light colored filters, and the difference is still substantial. So if you take something like a V60 or a Kalita Wave filter, those filters are nice because they're really, really thin. There's not a lot of paper there. If you preheat them, give them that rinse, most of that paper smell just disappears. There's not a ton to begin with. If you compare that to something like a traditional Chemex filter, it's got really thick, thick paper. It's a quadrifold. There's a ton of paper there and that's there for a reason. So Chemex has that little spout in the front and you're supposed to put three folds of paper on that spout. And those three layers blocking off that spout is supposed to prevent the water from sneaking around the coffee, from going down that spout and not interacting with the coffee. But what you have is you just have a ton of thick paper. And even though it's lighter colored, you still have to rinse the crap out of it. So I, you know, V60, great. Kalita Wave, great. Melita, somewhere in between the Chemex and those two. I, maybe avoid it if you can. Chemex, you don't really need to mess with it. You don't need to mess with it. So then there's metal filtration. So you might see a gold cone filter or what started out as the able cone that fits in a Chemex or fits in a V60. These are fun because they're reusable filters so you don't have to waste any paper. But one thing to note is that you will get sediment coming through. So if you like a perfectly clean cup of coffee with zero sediment, you're gonna have to go with a paper filter and not with a metter, metter, metter? Metter. It's metter, a metal filter. You're gonna get some wispies in there. I don't mind it. I like the body. I'm not saying I like it more than a paper filter. It just depends on what mood I'm in. Same thing with a cloth filter. Cloth filter, reusable, 
going to get a little bit of sediment, nice body. The downside to the cloth filter is cleaning and storage, whereas a metal filter, you can just rinse out, wash it out real quick. Cloth filter, you got to store it somewhere where it's not going to get funky and crusty or mold. So I'll keep mine in a bag with some moisture in the fridge or just in a water bath. It's kind of annoying, but I use them anyway. So once you got your filter preference dialed in, the only other thing you're going to need to consider in which pour over you want to get is bed shape or pour over shape. And you've basically got two kinds. You've got ones that have a flat bottom like the Kalita Wave, or you've got ones that are cone shaped like the Chemex or the V60. For single serving, both of them work really well. With flat bottom brewers like the Wave, it's a little bit easier to control your bed depth and get rid of that high and dry problem. And that's the problem where you see grounds kind of sticking up near the top of the filter. And the problem with that is that if you have grounds that are above the slurry level, so the slurry is where your coffee and your water is all together interacting, the grounds are up above that. They're not participating in the extraction. They're just kind of chilling there. And that can happen really easily with those cone-shaped filters like the V60. Waves a little bit easier to control. One thing to note with the flat bottom brewers, if you want to brew a really small amount of coffee, and you've got a brewer that's a little bit too big, you might not have enough bed depth. The extreme example of this would be like trying to brew a pour over in your batch brew filter. If you've got a Fetco or a Curtis, you should get a Curtis. Take that filter out and it's got this huge flat area on the bottom. Sprinkle, you know, 18 to 20 grams of coffee in there. It's not even gonna cover the whole bottom. The water's not going to interact with it evenly. It's going to be too thin. It's not going to work out. You don't have this problem so much in the conical shaped filters because at their smallest point, they're all basically the same size. So how much coffee you're brewing in them doesn't really matter. So when you're trying to figure out what the best pour over brewer is, which one you should buy, really the only two things you need to think about are what kind of filter does it use and what kind of shape is it and everything else doesn't really matter. They're all more similar than they are different. All those cool swirly lines you see on the side, all the cool design twerks. It just, it just doesn't make enough difference. It just doesn't maybe make any difference. Anybody who's telling you different is probably just trying to sell you something. And that makes me upset because we don't need to lie to ourselves or other people to sell some shit. All right, let's talk about technique. How do you do it? How does it work? Unfortunately, this podcast is not going to be a great place to learn how to do pour overs. The, you know, audio space in general is not going to be a great place to have a pour over tutorial, but there are a few key things that we can talk about that people ask about all the time. So let's just, you know, let's just hash them out right here. The first one is something that we alluded to earlier is that high and dry problem, that high and dry problem of grounds sticking on the filter above the level of the slurry. As we said, this is a problem because because those grounds are no longer contributing to the brew. They're not involved in extraction. They're just kind of sitting there, you know? They're at the dance, but they're not on the dance floor. They're at the party, but they're not talking to anybody. Why are you even there? Go home, play video games, do it. There's a couple ways to help solve this problem. So one of the ways that you can solve this is by stirring. After you've added all the water that you're going to add, 
you can take a spoon and just go once around the top of that slurry. That's going to break off those grounds that are wanting to cling there. It's going to incorporate them in. And because you stir it in this nice little circle, it's just going to, it's going to pull them to the bottom and all the water is going to go through there. Another way to combat this is by spinning the brewer itself. You might be familiar with the Rayo spin, something that Scott Rayo popularized where after you add your water, instead of stirring it, you just kind of give it a little, that was me whistling, a little rock the boat swirly motion, which does the same thing. It gets the grounds off the side, gets them down into the bottom of the bed. That's where you want them to be. They interact. A third way to combat this so that you might not get it in the first place is to pour in slow and steady stages. So add some water up to a certain point, allow it to drain a little bit, and then add water back up to that point. By adding water in stages, you're preventing the water from going super, super high, so you never get that really intense drawdown that's gonna leave a bunch of grounds high and dry. Of course, you can combine some of these techniques. You can pour in stages, and you can stir at the edge. You can pour in stages and do the Rayo spin. You can mix and match. It's all good. Another thing people ask about is the bloom. When you do your bloom, which is adding just a little bit of hot water to saturate the grounds before you start brewing, what do you do? Do you stir it or do you not stir it? And there's a couple, there's a couple ways you can do it. Stirring the bloom before you start brewing basically makes sure that all of the coffee that's in the bloom is evenly saturated. So you get water playing with everything. And this kind of primes the whole coffee bed for extraction. If you don't stir the bloom, you're not really sure how saturated the bloom is. You might have what looks like saturated coffee on the top, but you might have a little dry spot underneath. So stirring the bloom isn't the worst idea, but with things like stirring the bloom, stirring the drawdown, or even doing the spin, I say leave those for a little bit later if you're just getting started with pour overs. And here's why. Until you can control your kettle, until you can control the flow rate of water coming out of the kettle and get predictable extraction or brew times with no, no unnecessary, no extra frills. So let's say you're doing a single serve cup, you're doing one to 16, you got 18 grams of coffee, you're doing 288 water and your, your ideal brew time is three minutes. Until you can hit that three minute time at the same grind setting over and over and over again, I wouldn't mess with any of that other stuff. Once you've got your pour dialed in to where you know you're under control as much as you can be when doing a manual brew, then you can start to add in some of the other things like stirring the bloom, stirring before the drawdown, and see how those affect flavor. But until you're in control, until you're controlling your tools, the more variables you throw at this thing, the more messy it's going to be. And you don't really know if, oh, was your brew longer or shorter? Or did it taste weird because I stirred the bloom too much? Or was I pouring inconsistently, pouring really fast one time and really slow the next? And it's really hard to get that that feedback if you've got a bunch of different things. So I would control your flow rate, control your pour, then add things in one at a time as you feel confident, as you feel comfortable, and you're going to have the best time with that.
it's real. Last thing we'll talk about with technique is grind setting. How do you know when you have the right grind setting? And that's a little bit tricky, but really you're looking at flow rate. You want the water to permeate through the coffee in a certain amount of time. If we're doing a single serve cup, we're looking to be around that three minute range all in. Now, aside from this, which is just a general guideline, there are a couple visual indicators that'll help out. So if you're looking at your coffee bed after you brewed your coffee, you want the coffee bed to be basically flat and you want it to be a little bit grainy, but not too grainy. So if it looks like mud, if it looks like super soggy dirt or is really sloppy and wet, your grind setting might be a little too fine. On the other end of the spectrum, if it looks like rocks, like big chunks of crunchy, huge, like pebbly sand, your grind setting may be too coarse. But the real way to tell if you're in the zone is by tasting your coffee. And this is a little bit more advanced because you have to learn what under and over extraction tastes like and then adjust accordingly. But in a general nutshell, if you taste your coffee, it's really dry, it's papery, it's astringent, it sucks all the moisture out of your mouth, you are probably over extracted. Your grind setting might be too fine and you have to coarsen that thing up. On the other end of the spectrum, if the coffee tastes really light, if it's a little sour, if it's just kind of underdeveloped or just tart, tangy, makes your mouth pucker a little bit, your grind setting might be too coarse. You might need to fine it up a little bit. Again, hard to diagnose a pour over over the interwebs over a podcast, but it's that combination of flow rate that you're looking for, taste and adjust to get yourself in the zone. Of course, nothing in coffee happens in a vacuum. These recommendations will only work assuming you've got everything else dialed in. When most people are starting at pour over, they've got a lot of different variables going on. So just be as consistent and precise as you possibly can track your stuff, take a little notebook, make a log, what you did, how long it took, how much coffee you're using, what it tasted like, and reference that every time you go to make coffee and you'll get better and better and better over time. And at some point you'll just be, I'm like the master of making these little pour overs. So for something that's really simple, there's a lot that can go wrong. It can be really complex. Why would you ever want to make a pour over? What's the whole point of the situation? Well, if you're at home and you're a coffee lover, the answer is clear. It's just fun. It's fun to do. It's something that has a process involved with it. You can make it part of your daily routine. It's a center. It's like this meditation center you can get in your Zen zone. So if you really enjoy brewing coffee, if you really enjoy playing with coffee, if you're someone who enjoys the process of making coffee just as much as you enjoy drinking the actual cup of coffee, pour over any manual brew method might be for you. In the context of the cafe, the pour over serves a purpose of being able to take some coffees that maybe wouldn't end up in that batch brew menu and feature them. Again, this isn't specific to pour over. You could do this with any number of by the cup brewing devices. We use something different than pour over, but you know, pick your poison, whatever you want to do. And it's got that benefit of driving that ticket price up. You can sell more coffee at a, you know, you can sell fancier coffees for more money, which is good for business because even though they're more expensive to buy green, the margin's still really good on those and they'll drive your daily average up at the cafe. And it's, that's an important thing to recognize. So whether you're doing pour over or whether you're doing AeroPress or whether you're doing whatever you want to do, 
I think ignoring that by the cup possibility might hurt your cafe. So from a strictly business perspective, that's a cool reason to do pour over. From the cafe non-businessy perspective, it gives the opportunity for your customers to sample a large variety of your menu. Now, if you listen to the podcast, you'll hear us making fun of pour over right and left, sometimes making the claim that pour over is pretty much just for home and not in the cafe. And this is because we've seen it done really, really terribly. And when we say terribly, it's not technique wise or taste wise. It usually has to do with workflow and the idea of paying a lot of money for a cup of coffee and then having it take a really, really, really long time. So if you're going to set up a pour over bar in your cafe, you want to have the systems dialed to where you can make that coffee really efficiently, really quickly. What you don't want to do is every time someone orders a pour over, you have to go find the coffee, weigh out individual little tins of coffee on the fly, find out where the filter is, rinse the filter. Your station has to be nice and tight. You should have everything there ready to go so you can start that pour over, get into the actual act of brewing it within 15 to 30 seconds of the customer ordering it. And that's pour over. It's a really fun way to make coffee by the cup, either for yourself or guests in your cafe. Key takeaways. Most pour over brewers are pretty much the same. The biggest difference is going to be in the filter or the shape of the bed that it creates. Pick whatever works for you. There's some basic techniques you need to follow. And if you follow basic coffee brewing parameters, which kind of exists for almost all coffee brewing, you're going to get in the right place. And we'll do another podcast to talk about brew ratios, extraction, all these little doodads that you need to know to make the best coffee of whatever kind you want. So if you're doing pour overs, keep doing pour overs. If you hate pour overs, keep hating pour overs. I don't care. Do whatever you want. You can, you can make, you can make coffee however you want. Whatever makes you smile, is the best kind of coffee for you to drink. If someone tells you something else, just punch them in the face, except for violence is bad. How's that for a confusing ending? Thanks for listening to Cat and Cloud Podcast. Baca here, all by himself. Hope you had a great time. Bye. The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. They make coffee brewers. Ever heard of them? If you haven't, you should. They're an awesome family-owned company. They're here in California. They power their facility with solar power, which I hear that's like a new hot thing that progressive people do. The best thing about Curtis, in my humble opinion, is the turnaround time on the brewers. They have a 24-hour turnaround. It's phenomenal. If you've ever ordered a brewer for a wholesale client from someone else and waited and waited and waited for it to come in, you know how frustrating that is. So being able to get the brewer next day like that is absolutely amazing. Shout out to you, Wilbur Curtis. Their customer service is phenomenal. And they just care. They care about you. They care about me. And I care about them. And that's why Cat Cloud Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis.